so now at this time, I'd like to turn to the word where we're all gonna get encouragement. And uh, this is in John chapter 14, verses one through 11. Jesus said, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. And you know the way to where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. This is the word of the Lord. So a lot of meals have a certain look about them, right? Like a formal banquet, we kind of have a mental picture for what that looks like. And Thanksgiving, Christmas probably looks different for each family, but I'm guessing there's something that comes to mind when you think of some of those holiday, holiday meals. And then there's just ordinary evening family meals, and I think a lot of the world is enjoying a lot more of those maybe than we did uh, a month or so ago. They all have a certain look, and probably when most people think of the evening that we are going to look at today in God's Word and try to picture it somewhere along the line, they think of da Vinci's famous painting, The Last Supper, so we are with Jesus in that upper room, and if you're not familiar with that picture, you can well, you can certainly Google it. Who's gonna stop you from doing that right now? Who's gonna know? But probably if you're looking at that picture or that picture is in your mind, there's gonna be a lot of differences between that, that painting and what reality probably was that evening. So I'm guessing there wasn't this grand table laid out. I'm not sure there was any table. And I guess it didn't feel quite as organized as that picture looks with each person in kind of their individual slot. I'm not sure the room and the ceiling was so grand and impressive. I'm, I'm positive not everybody was like facing an artist ready for the, the, the painting to be done or the picture to be taken. They were facing each other. If we know anything about Middle Eastern culture, they were people on the ground reclining and eating and what they were doing that night was they were spending time with Jesus. One of Jesus' first followers recorded a lot of what happened there. His name is John, and what Pastor Evan read a moment ago was some of his writings, recording, kind of bringing us into that room, what Jesus was 
was saying at that meal. And I think it's even more critical that we like tune our ear versus trying to get a picture of what was going on. Let's listen. Let's listen because we're going to hear exactly what Jesus had to say. In the midst of all of this, what I want you to recognize is that Jesus leans in. Jesus leans in. Now, let me be clear. I'm not, I'm not sure he physically leaned in, but I do know I do know that his words that evening were not words of someone backing away. They weren't someone who was kind of distant, but someone who actually was leaning into what was going on in the hearts and minds of those that he loved. No one can accuse Jesus ever of like, he just didn't get it. He just didn't get it. Some people run away and some people get insensitive. And I don't know if in this season, you're probably like me, you've had some emails, some tweets that just seem tone deaf. It's like, I can't believe you're sending that now. Do you realize, you, you kind of want to ask, do you realize what's going on? Do you realize what's on people's mind? Do you appreciate how someone is processing what's going on? No one could ask that of Jesus. Well, yes, he does. He does know exactly what's going on. He is processing everything. He's taking in all those things. And in the midst of that, he leans in. He leans in close to the troubled hearts of his disciples. He leans in close to these, these disciples, these followers of his. He leaned in close to their troubled hearts. And I wonder, I wonder how many of you can relate because maybe you're a parent and you had to lean in close to the troubled hearts of your kids this week. Or maybe you are an adult child and you had to lean in close to some aging adults, your aging parents that are a little bit upset this week. Jesus is looking at a group of people, and you can imagine, right? Each one has something on their mind. Each one's processing this. And Jesus cares about them individually, but he also cares for them collectively as a group. And he speaks this to that group and each individual. He says, let not your hearts be troubled. What that assumes is their hearts are at a, a tipping point. So this tipping point is where you almost are ready to give in to something. When it feels like you're, you're almost at this point of no return where you emotionally may not recover. The tipping point when your world begins to crash and fall apart and you feel like you're going to disintegrate and become something that you never wanted to be or something that you're actually not. You, you begin to lose your grip on everything. And, and Jesus knows he's talking to some followers of his that are right at that tipping point. And he says to them, let not your hearts be troubled. Don't go there. It's a word of caution. And it's also an order. Like, don't, don't go there. And I know it's, it's hard not to. It's hard not to play out the what if, what if, what if, what if. And Jesus says, don't go there. Well, why would they be troubled? Well, we can just recognize, okay, we can recognize they had some legit reasons why they would be troubled, why they would be about at that tipping point. Think about it. If you just read John 13, Peter is told he is about to deny Jesus. He's told you're not going to be dependable at a moment when it matters the most. And still Jesus looks at Peter and says, don't let your hearts be overwhelmed. Don't go there. And then you think he's told his disciples. I mean, we have record in the other gospels. He's told his disciples, I'm going to die. 
my life on this earth as you know it is going to be over. What will that mean? If I'm them, I'm thinking nothing good can come out of that. And still Jesus speaks right in that place. He leans in, doesn't he? And says, you don't have to be overwhelmed by, by your sorrow. You think even in John 13, he's brought up the sad reality that one of those among them is going to betray Jesus. Could it be me? I mean, that's the question. We know that's the question they were asking. Is it going to be me? Is it going to be me? And in the midst of that, he says, still, you don't have to be overwhelmed. Don't let your heart be too troubled. Your heart could be in danger here. There are scenarios and circumstances and people have had, I mean, Jeff spoke at a, a, a moment ago. I don't, I don't think I have to add anything to what you already feel. And that is there are scenarios and circumstances that are pushing us toward a tipping point. People who had crazy weeks, people who had lonely weeks, seniors in high school, seniors in college. I mean, it just goes on and on. Things they're looking forward to. Relationships that matter. Plans canceled. Workers on, on our mind, workers in the medical field or out there in the public that are like, I mean, these things, these things matter to us. Could we be at least on the... On the road, we may not even be at the tipping point yet, but we feel like we're, we're close. So we hear Jesus's words as we're maybe even on a trajectory going, I, I, think, I think he's talking to me because my heart is pretty filled with anxiety. And when you, when you reach a breaking point or when you reach that kind of tipping point, you're gonna have to believe in something. You're going to have to believe. And actually Jesus leans in close now with an alternative to that overwhelming sorrow. So there is an alternative. So he gives an alternative. Okay, don't go down the path of letting your heart be overwhelmed with sorrow, but here's the other path. And he says it in verse one, right? Believe in God, believe also in me. Believe in God, believe also in me. What do you do with the troubled heart? You believe in something, you believe in someone. And by belief, just so you don't misunderstand, that means you have confidence in that. You rely on this. You put your weight into it and you say, I'm gonna trust this. I'm going to believe this. You rely on some reality, someone or something will be good and will be true and will be there for you and will make things better. For some, I can imagine that you rely on, you know, the world of science to figure things out and, and or maybe some rely on like, well, at least, at least the government is going to help and maybe, maybe make this financially a little bit more bearable or some may rely on the strength of a nation and all those things are understandable and we can relate in some ways to all that. But when life gets really tough, I want to ask you a question. And I think we all need to be asking ourselves this question. And that is, what do you personally rely on? What do you believe? Do you rely? Do you rely on luck and the odds that they will ever be in your favor? Is that, is that what you count on? Like, I, I think I can win here. I think, I think I can beat the odds. Or do you... Is your solution to being overwhelmed with sorrow that you just believe in yourself? You rely on yourself and you join every celebrity who's ever gotten an achievement and every athlete that's ever made a winning catch and they put a microphone in front of them and how'd you do this? Well, I just believed in myself. You know, here's, here's my issue with that. I definitely understand uh, a self pep talk and, and you can do that and I can appreciate how that may inspire you to do some things. But this world, you know this, right, is full of people who believed in themselves and failed. 
you know that this world is filled with people who believed in themselves and fumbled and dropped a pass, who believed in themselves and missed the game-winning shot and believed in themselves and never got noticed and believed in themselves and totally wrecked their lives. So, so we can go down the road of being overwhelmed with sorrow. I'm just gonna believe more in myself, but maybe you don't go there. Maybe actually you go, you know, Chris, I don't believe in myself, but I believe in a, I believe in a team. I, I believe in sticking together. And so this is like, we're in the locker room speeches and coaches saying, you, you can't rely on yourself, but you gotta rely on each other. You gotta hold together. And man, I'm all for believing and, and sticking together as a team, but Jesus actually doesn't go there. Do you notice what he says? He doesn't say believe in the luck. He doesn't say believe in yourself. He doesn't say, boys, you're gonna have to stick together through this. If we all just hang together, it's all gonna work out. He doesn't go there. What he says, but you know what you can believe in? You can believe in the one true living God. Believe in him. You know the one who is your rock and your refuge and your fortress and your strength. Believe in the one who is sovereign and kind and compassionate and gracious and steadfast and forgiving. You can trust him because he is alive and well. Believe in him, but then he also says, believe in me. Jesus speaking, he says, trust me. Jesus is unembarrassed to tell those followers and tell all of us by extension, you need to trust in me. Which is significant because this is more than just Jesus implying, you gotta trust me here as if like when a little kid goes a little bit too high up on some ledge and, and so mom or dad say, you know, come on, come on, you can jump, you can trust me here, just, just, I, I got you. This is Jesus actually not, not a, you know, a three-foot jump here. This is Jesus saying, put your entire, put your entire well-being in my hands. Put all of that into my judgment, my wisdom, my plans, my competency. Believe in me. It goes so deep, doesn't it? Doesn't it? Because it's saying, Believe in God, the Father, and believe also in me. Jesus and the Father here, it's, it's definitely clear they're united in some way, but they're also distinct, they're separate. They don't sound entirely different, but they are distinct, and it's not all simple. But Jesus is giving us clear indication he is one with the Father and yet still distinct. It's right there. So he tells them, how, how are you going to not be overwhelmed with sorrow? You're going to have to believe, and yet I you kind of want to ask, well, how do you make yourself believe something when you don't feel like you can? And it may be impossible in some sense, except for the fact, except for the fact that God is a good God and even faith is a gift that he gives. The faithful one is so good that he gives us faith to trust him, to rely, to have confidence on the words of Jesus. So let's keep going because He's leaning in, right? He said, here's why you can believe. But listen to how Jesus leaned in with something to hope for. How he leaned in with something to hope for. Listen to Jesus direct their attention. I got an, uh, a text from one of our church members this week and she was just telling how a lot of this, because I asked how I could pray for this couple and she, she responded by saying a lot has had to like, we've had to have a focus shift. And I thought that's a, a great description of like our focus can be so uh, disoriented at this time and we gotta shift it and focus on something different. And that's exactly what Jesus does. This is what you have to be thinking about. 
In verse two, in my father's house are many mansions. So this, there's this like very real place that Jesus wants us to imagine. And he doesn't elaborate on a ton of details, but he does say, in my father's house, kind of think of this, in, on my father's estate, there's lots of places to live. In my father's house are many rooms or dwelling places, and there's a place for you. It's also personal with Jesus. And he says, if it were not so, can I ask you a question? If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? I told you this. Hear Jesus saying, I told you this. I keep my word. You can trust this. This will happen. It's the force of making you ask yourself a question. Does Jesus, here's a, here's a question. Does Jesus have the credibility to make and keep these kind of promises? Can he be trusted to make and keep these kinds of promises? The reality is that what Jesus is talking about means I'm going to prepare a place for you. It does mean that the future for the disciples, they will enter a time period where things will probably feel a lot less than certain. I'm not going to be with you physically present. I'm going to prepare a place for you. I'm going to make reservations and preparations for you. But that will mean there's going to be a season where you feel a little anxious because I'm not physically present with you. To which every Christian who's living right now can say, I can relate to that. But he says in verse three, if I go and prepare a place for you, I'm going to come again and I'll take you to myself. Where I am there, you may be also. I will come again. And this speaks as of a reunion, which instills us with hope. I will be with you. He's our company. We're not left alone. And I will take you to myself. I, I read one author who said, Jesus is going to provide the transportation. So there's the reunion. There's the company. There's the transportation. Jesus wraps that up. What are you troubled about? Do you have to be, do you have to be overwhelmed with sorrow? I know, I know listening even right now are some younger listeners, probably younger than we normally have. So I do want to be careful. But I do think, I do think, Jesus is pushing us to consider what hope looks like, even if this life as we know it ends. Even if this life as we know it is gone. Not to be morbid, but we, but, but we should kind of repel to this subject of death. And, and again, we don't have to fixate ourselves on it. And we ought to think, is my hope secure there? If even I go there, am I Okay. And he's asking you to think about what you're really relying on and how far that will take you. And could that be blown up in one day? How about a week? How about a month? How about a season? How about a lifetime? Or does your hope go deeper than that? I don't know how you picture this dinner, but we are not at some sort of ordinary dinner discussion. And so the, the disciples hear Jesus speaking these words and I want you to notice how, if I see Jesus leaning in, I also see the disciples raising their hand. Raising their hand. Oh, I'm not sure they physically like, did that to signal to Jesus. But listen to the text, because look at verse 5. It says, Thomas said to him, Lord, I got a question. We don't know where you're going. So how can we know the way? So Thomas raises his hand, and he asks a question. I think we can be glad he did. And I don't know if he hesitated. Generally, I don't like to ask questions where I might be perceived as like everybody else understood and I didn't. And I'm going to be the dumb one in the room and say, I, I got a question. 
And everybody else is like, why do you ask that? And sometimes a person asks a question where, like literally the teacher just said that. And, and is that what's going on? Because Jesus had literally just said in verse four, you know the way to where I'm going. And Thomas says, oh, we don't know where you're going. And how can we know the way? I don't think that's what's going on here. I don't think there's a redundancy issue here. Thomas is saying, hear what Thomas is saying. Thomas is saying, we are not sure we have enough information. We're not sure we have the right information. I know you think you've given us everything we need. We're not so sure. Thomas had questions. One of those questions is kind of the, the where question, right? Where, where are you taking us? We just need to know the destination. He's not asking, are we there yet? He's just saying, we need to know. We need to know where we're going. And when I, what I think he's asking for is something like, I feel like I could ask for, and that is, you know, the, the programs like Waze and Google Maps, uh, GPS, we, we could, if we could just get a glimpse of like, okay, here's the, the destination, and here's the route, and here's the obstacles I might encounter, the traffic, the, the areas where I may have to slow down because, you know, who might be watching my speed, all, all those things. If I could just get a, like a roadmap of that, some sort of overview of, of what I'm doing here, then I would just feel a lot better about this whole situation. We'd feel a lot better if we knew kind of where we're going, what we're going to encounter along the way. So he asked a where question, but he also asked a how question, right? We don't know how we would ever know where we're supposed to go. How can we know the way? How can we be certain of it? I, I feel like Thomas just voices some honest questions here, and maybe for too long the church has stifled those questions. And let me just say, kind of parent to parent, maybe we have to be willing to let our kids ask the tough ones where there aren't any easy answers. We have to be willing to wrestle with tough ones if our faith is going to go strong. But I can appreciate the questions of where and how. I think I would add to those. So I ask those, and then I would add to those if I'm there and probably bold enough to raise my hand and tell Jesus, I think I would also ask when. Those are some of the questions I would ask, like even this season, like when is it all going to be over? When, it, when is it all going to change back to some sort of normal routine? So I'd ask the when, and then I'd also ask the why. I don't, I don't linger there a ton, but sometimes that, that thought creeps in my mind. It's like, I don't have enough information, Lord. I, I need to know where and how and when and why. So you get serious, like what are your questions? What are they? As Jesus leans in, maybe you say, nope, Curtis, no questions here. I'm as confident as ever. And I say, praise God for that confidence. I, I praise God that this is not shaking your faith, but maybe you are unsure and unsettled in ways you never expected. Maybe you have questions, just make sure you ask them to Jesus, get those out in the open. And he, he's not afraid of this, right? He's not afraid. You're asking them to, to the right person. And notice the reaction. We know he, we're asking them to the right person. Notice Jesus doesn't shrug his shoulders and go, I, I don't, I kind of am doing guesswork here just like you are. That's not what he does. He doesn't squirm, but he answers it head on. And he also doesn't give the disciples like this long scolding speech. The way there. So you're asking a, a where question, Thomas. The way there is more of a, a who question. Where, how, when, why, that's the question I want to ask. And Jesus says, this is the one you need to be asking, is who? And we know that because in verse six, he says to Thomas, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. I am the way, I mean, think about it, think about it. You may not be a Christian, but how many 
how many religions and philosophies are there that are trying to answer that like the way question? Like how, what is the way I should live my life? How can I center everything in my world? How can I be enlightened? How can I live in harmony with the universe? What's the way? And Jesus says, that only comes through me. That only comes through my life, my teaching, my deeds, my death, my resurrection. I'm the way, I'm the truth. Think about how many religions are kind of, how many people are just kind of dialed in. I wanna know the facts. I wanna know what's constant. I know what's reliable. I wanna get beyond superstition. I need to know what's real. And Jesus says, that only comes through me. I'm the one who determines reality. I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life, and everybody wants this. And I'm not just talking about like life after you die. I'm talking about even life right now that is meaningful, even as you know you're going to eventually die. Jesus says that only comes through me because I am life-giving. I'm the one that creates and animates everything. You're talking about things that when Jesus said that to his first followers who were all Jewish, they didn't have categories for this. Or a human being in front of them to say, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. It's all me. Not to mention Jesus says, I, I give the unique and complete access to the Father. You have no, no need for anything else. That's exactly what Jesus is saying. You have what you need. There's no other name under heaven. This is the only way. There are no other paths, no other roads you're gonna find. And he says in verse seven, another deeper claim. If you had known me, you would have known my Father. And from now on, you do know him. And you've seen him. Thomas raised his hand, right? And said, I got a question. But we've got another disciple also raising his hand. And if Thomas had a question, Philip makes a request. Philip makes a request. He says in verse eight, Philip says to him, Lord, just show us the Father and that'll be enough. Do you relate to that? I do, even as a believer. It's like, sometimes I'm just like, I really just need you to do one more thing, Jesus. And that'll do it for me. I don't, I don't think I'll need to ask for anything else. If you, if you just can do this, there, there is this thing. I just need to see God in this. I need to see it quite literally. I, I need, or maybe you do the prayer like, God, if, if you get me to the other side on this, then, then I promise I will. And you, you, you do this like, I just need one more thing. And then that'll, that'll be enough. To which I say, maybe it'll be enough, but maybe you'll move the goalposts. And then there'll be something else. And then just one more and just one more. Jesus isn't quite as sarcastic as like my first response would be. But he does push, right? Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long? Have I been with you so long and you still don't know? You still don't know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How are you, how are you even saying, show us the Father? Like you've, you've seen, do, do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? In some ways, we're back right in verse one again. It's a question of, what are you gonna believe? Philip, you don't need to see one more thing. I know you feel like you need to see one more thing. You don't. You don't. You've seen God in me. I'm so locked into God the Father, and I'm one with him in essence. You've seen what you need to see. It applied to them. They had physical access to Jesus, but it applies to us because we've had access to Jesus as well. We have his life and stories. We have his teachings. We have multiple accounts of his death and resurrection that consistently have told the same story. We have the explanation and meaning of all that he did. We have enough. We actually have more than they did that night because what we have is the Holy Spirit of God living inside of us who brings all of this to life. And we have the witness of 2,000 years 
of millions of Christians who point to this man who changed the world and they say, he changed me. He changed my identity. He changed my behavior. He changed my values. He changed my purpose. He changed my home. He changed my family. He changed my confidence. And, and now the question is not so much like I need the one more thing. The issue is, are we going to believe him and lean into him, not just for heaven when we die, but are we going to lean into him for things right now, our kids and our retirement and our sickness and our food and our help and our peace and our patience? Are we going to lean into him? The issue isn't one more thing. Jesus right here and right now calls you to take a step of faith into him and another and another. And if you're a kid, if you're a teenager, if you're a student, by all means, you need to listen to your parents, but you're going to have to take your own steps of faith. You're going to have to decide for yourself, and maybe this is the right opportunity to do it, that I'm going to believe. I'm going to believe in him. By the way, this isn't like a blind leap into the unknown. That's never the way scripture presents it, as if it's like a magical step off of a cliff. No, no, you have enough faith you have enough information to know that you do need a savior. You have enough information to know that you can't save yourself. You have enough information to know that you can and should believe in Jesus. You have the guarantees of a man who claimed and demonstrated that he's God in flesh. You have his words. That's what verse 10 says. They had personally heard. We have a record of it. The words that I say to you, Jesus says, I don't speak on my own authority, but the father who dwells in me does his works. You can trust my words and believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me or else believe on account of the works themselves. You have his words, you have his works that have been visibly seen and we have a record. So the question is here, are we gonna trust? Are we gonna rely? Are we gonna do it Monday? Are we gonna do it Tuesday? Are we gonna do it next week? Are we gonna do it in May? Are we gonna do it in June? We started with like these very overwhelmed disciples, maybe even at the tipping point. And I think that's the right place to end here because Jesus offers an alternative. You need to rely. You need to have confidence. You need to have faith in him. Don't get me wrong. Faith and reliance, it's going to be a struggle. It's going to be an intense wrestling match because you're playing for keeps. The stakes are high and, and faith is going to have seasonal highs and lows because we're in this for the long haul, not just to like get us out of jam today. But the power of faith doesn't rest in our strength or our reliability. The power of faith rests in like what we believe in, what we have confidence on. And that's Jesus. Every pastor, every public speaker likes to close out a talk or a message with some sort of like inspirational story or example. So I actually have two, okay? I have two. And one is the story of a man named Thomas who raised his hand one night at a meal, and he asked a question. And then he walked through a week where he thought that his hopes were completely dashed because the one that he loved and the one he believed in got killed unjustly. So his story is that a week later, he saw Jesus alive. And he confessed in that moment, you, Jesus, are my Lord and my God. And then he took the news of Jesus and church tradition tells us that he took it all the way to India and he gave his life for the way, the truth, and the life. So that's story number one. And story number two is a story of the other one who raised his hand. 
the story of Philip. Philip, who that night asked for Jesus to just, can you just show us the Father? Philip, who had to endure the execution of his leader. Not because that leader had done anything wrong, but then he also experienced that leader do what no one could have expected, and that is rise from the dead. And he took the message of that leader, who is God the Son, who showed him the Father, and he delivered that all throughout Palestine. So we have a record of what these ones who raised their questions, what happened with their lives. So church, we're in a season that's gonna push us. And we may find ourselves raising our hands, asking questions of Jesus. But for me, I think I read of Thomas and I read of Philip. And I think that's all the inspiration and motivation I need. My heart doesn't have to be overwhelmed. I can trust in God. I can believe in Jesus. And today you can too. Why don't we end there? All right, let me pray. Lord, I pray that you would take these words and the story and what we've looked at and what we've thought about, what we've tried to visualize, what we've tried to imagine and just begin to put those deep, deep into us that we might trust you more, that we might see your grace in a more real way this week. I pray for my Oh, my church family, but I also pray for friends and others that have joined this that are asking some pretty hard questions. And I pray that you might lead them to the, the way, the truth, and the life. Oh, Father, I pray that you would lead them to your son. And this might be a time where they came to have a personal relationship with your son. Lord, you can do more than I could imagine. But I do ask these re requests in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.